Hello and welcome to The Hurt Take. I am your host, Reese Dobigan, and this is the podcast for the fans, by the fans. I want to welcome you back for another week, another round with me. Boy, oh boy, this is, I think, our 20th round, the 20th round of this fight. You still keep coming back for more. I am honored. Thank you. Of course, in my fights, there's standing 10 counts, so I give you every, every opportunity to get up and keep going. Not like MMA. This is MMA. It would have been a Conor McGregor-like knockout. You would have, you would have been out by round one. Let's be honest. So. No big UFC card this weekend. Kind of a smaller one. UFC Fight Night Mexico City. Some good storylines. Some nice narratives, but... Can't say anything in particular... To write home about. I, some people were excited about... Rashad Evans' fight against Sam Alvey going into it. You know, just want to see Rashad again. See what he's got left. Some people were excited about Sergio Pettis fighting Moreno. You know, a title eliminator type of bout, I think most people thought. You know, it was a pretty good card. I have to say, for a lot of no-name kind of guys, there wasn't a lot of star power involved. But there were seven first-round finishes. A UFC modern-day record. How about that? Seven first-round finishes. I feel like that must have been like a football game where it's nothing but 60-yard touchdowns and every other play is three yards at a time. <laughs> but that can be fun to watch. The The crowd was clearly into it. They were pulling for their people. Always a really good crowd down there in Mexico. So, But what do we take from this card? What is there to take from this card? I think ultimately the biggest thing is Rashad Evans. And there's not much to say. There's There really isn't much to say. I was not particularly excited going into this fight to see Rashad fight. I wasn't. I think his last few performances, I mean, he's lost, what was it, three in a row at this point? You know, he hadn't looked like the same fighter for a long time, and injuries and inactivity and things had kind of taken away any star power that he really had. His name was kind of devalued by that. You know, when you don't fight a lot, you don't fight often, and you lose when you do fight, people forget about you. So that's sort of the state of it going into this fight. I know a lot of people were kind of excited. I was not. And um, unfortunately, my expectations were on point. So what does this mean? What does this mean for a shot? Is this the end? Is this the end of Rashad Evans? Sugar Rashad? I kind of think it is. He did he did not look particularly good in this fight by any measure. Very inactive. I I think he landed something like 20 strikes the whole fight, which is lethargic. A lethargic pace. Um you know, he tried to work for takedowns, couldn't get them, which you know used to be his bread and butter in a lot of ways, and 
he just looked really listless in this fight. So, thinking about that, what's, what does Rashad Evans mean to MMA? Because for a time, he was one of the big names. Rashad was an, among a number of kind of the bridge stars at light heavyweight before John Jones. You know, we kind of forget that now a little bit, that Rashad was once a bright, shining promise. You know, he, he was part of an era ultimately defined by now, in hindsight, being in a constant state of flux. We had Quentin Rampage Jackson take the title from Chuck Liddell. That ended up, you know, one of the other kind of great reigns in that division. Rampage held the belt for one fight. He lost it to Forrest Griffin, who then lost it to Rashad. And Rashad, I think, at that point was kind of the person everyone thought, you know, this guy could hold on to it for a while. And then he immediately lost it to Lyoto Machida, who then lost it to Shogun. So that's five title changes between Liddell and Jones, between the last, you know, the last great light heavyweight and then the next great light heavyweight. And Rashad, I think Rashad and Machida were the only two in that group who people thought would hold on to it for a while and could be the next great. You know, only Machida defended the belt. And that was even controversial over Shogun, who a lot of people thought won their fight. And then Machida conceded it to Shogun in their next fight. So none of those guys really held on to it to a long time. So what does that mean for Rashad's legacy? You know, what? ultimately, what is what are we going to remember him by? So when I think of his legacy, I think of a tough fighter, one of those first tough fighters who ascended to greatness, you know, one of the next great hopes in that division. I think of being the first major rival for John Jones, which is important, which matters. It might matter more in the context of John Jones's legacy than Rashad's, but it matters. He will forever be that guy. I remember him as being one of the first big gym advocates, you know, a fighter advocate with the, you know, with the now defunct Black Zillions. That's something I remember him for. And the last chapter is I remember him as a cautionary tale for fighters sticking around too long, looking totally listless in his last four fights. That's what I remember. But if I, if I remember one thing, one thing, it's not going to be any of those. It's going to be the, that swagger he had after knocking out Liddell when it truly seemed like this guy was going to be on a different level. That's what I'm going to remember most. When he did that, kind of put his heart, hand over his heart, sort of shock and awe thing, that celebration, that's what I remember. So elsewhere in the MMA world, we'll talk a little bit more about Mexico City, but I want to touch on some of the a bigger story. Pauli Maliniagi has kind of taken some of these headlines, keeping Conor McGregor in the headlines this week. Maliniagi uh, was Conor's sparring partner, called in to be one of Conor's sparring partner. Now has left the McGregor camp on pretty negative terms, crushing him in the media after photos of Malin Yaji on the ground 
at McGregor's feet has cast this impression that McGregor might have put him through the works. People saying it was a very violent session. McGregor, you know, held his own and did great. And, you know, now Malignaggi is claiming he wasn't paid. He's claiming that Connor is cheap and projecting a lucrative lifestyle. Hashtag no shit. Not like that's breaking news or anything. He's saying that Connor only wants yes men and is too arrogant to learn. You know, I would say from anecdotal history, that has been proven otherwise throughout McGregor's MMA career. He has constantly strived to improve and get better. He's a guy who's constantly going and training with really good sparring partners. You know, I know there's been anecdotes about him showing up in New York and dropping in on um, Eddie Bravo's gym and saying, who's the best guy? I want to roll with him. So I don't know. I feel like anecdotally, that's not necessarily true, but Malignaggi is pretty pissed, so... (laughs) He's going to say a lot of things. But I think the point still sort of holds up is that he's trying to say Connor simply can't be ready to fight Mayweather in three weeks. He needs to make more progress than where he is at now. And the point to me is Connor would not be ready to fight Mayweather in three weeks, three months, or three years. It's simple math. How many rounds of sparring and how many fights would he need to be in to prepare himself for a boxing match with Floyd Mayweather? That's the kind of progress he needs to make. Real boxing dedication progress. Now, I think some conspiracy theorists out there are going to say, maybe this is a ploy for Mali Naji to get a fight of his own. Maybe. Maybe. You know, but unless we've entered the era where fighters are colluding together to create drama and create fights, I doubt it. He got called in as a sparring partner. What, you think McGregor called him in as a sparring partner saying like, hey, let's get into some shit and then you can talk shit and then you're going to, and then that'll be the next fight. I, I doubt it. You know, I think it's, it's just a couple of fighters, testosterone, bitching about each other. One fighter bitching about another fighter. If it led to a fight, yeah, conspiracy theorists are going to look back on this as the beginning of the narrative. But I don't see it that way. Right now, it's just some good headlines. You can glean some good stuff from it, I would think. McGregor's clearly trying to insulate himself, which is not a terrible thing. To keep your eye on the prize, insulating yourself. Positive thinking, that's one of McGregor's things. Positive thinking. In this instance, will it help him beat Floyd Mayweather? Remains to be seen. Randy, the natural couture, says John Jones has all the tools to beat Brock Lesnar. I gotta agree with him. I have to agree with him. You know, couture, first of all, would know. He's been in there with Lesnar. He knows what the guy brings to the table. He knows what you can and can't do. And he held his own against Lesnar. And he was an undersized guy. Couture is considered one of the great strategists of all time. Game planners, always prepared, knew how to fight every single opponent best. That's a category John Jones belongs in. Jones has proven himself to be one of the great strategists in this sport. Then you consider that Jones has far more tools than Couture did. 
and it begs to reason that perhaps no one is more prepared for a fight with Brock Lesnar than John Jones. And I think that includes Stipe Miocic. Maybe Jones doesn't have the pop in his hands. Lesnar doesn't like to get hit. Well, guess what? You don't have to use your hands to put pop on somebody. Jones can kick. He can kick low, and he can keep a big guy like Lesnar away from him. He can kick high. He's just showed that with Cormier. He's got long arms, elbows. Lesnar is a bit of a bull in a china shop type fighter, right? We all know what he wants to do. Close the distance, close the gap, get in tight range, put the guy on the ground, and bully him. And I don't know if there's a better fighter to stop that kind of a game plan than John Jones. I don't think that there is a better fighter to see the elements that Brock Lesnar needs to have in order to beat him than John Jones. So, yeah, let's stoke let's stoke the heat on that fire. So that six months from now when, you know, it's actually sort of maybe going to happen, we can get real hyped. Tyron Woodley and Dana White have apparently buried the hatchet. (laughs) Based on the way that Dana was talking about Woodley, my guess is they buried that hatchet somewhere in the middle of the Missouri backwoods or something 12 feet deep because I don't see that going away. That hatchet better been encased in cement before they buried it because I don't see this going away. Dana's always going to say what he thinks. And Tyron Woodley's always going to fight the way he fights. So somehow I feel like Dana White is going to say some more crap about Tyron Woodley down the road. Just, just a gut instinct. One thing I find curious is that it's only after Woodley threatened to, quote, leak some shit that he and Dana got quickly around to getting on the same page. Again, for those conspiracy theorists out there, the cause and effect of this is curious, to say the least. Demetrius Johnson essentially, quote, released some shit when he sent out a a very long statement about why he wanted the Ray Borg fight, why he wasn't going to fight TJ Dillashaw, what the UFC was making offers to him in terms of pay-per-view points and the like, the way that the UFC was negotiating with him. That was some shit. I can't remember seeing any shit like that before. And what did that do? It blew up in Dana White's face. He took flack for it. Because it put a lot of things on the table that they had to answer for. Maybe Dana decided he didn't need that again. Tyrone Woodley says he's going to release some shit. Dana says, oh God, not again. Gets on the same page. Either way, I still feel Woodley 
got a fair amount of unfair criticism for the Maya fight. You now you consider a number of factors. Torres Labrum, apparently. Shoulder. Couldn't throw that big right hand. Stopped 24 takedowns against a guy who all he wanted to do was go for the takedown. It was not a great matchup. That was always how this fight was going to go. And on top of that, Tyron Woodley has only done what fans seem to want to be done, which is fight number one contenders. He's done that. Maybe it hasn't been exciting, but he's done it. Now, does Tyron's recent comments about GSP saying he should own up, that he's only coming back for money fights? I mean, I don't think that's exactly on point. How many times did we have to hear GSP babble about the damn stock market at that press conference for the Michael Bisping fight that was canceled and now then back and then canceled and now it's back or whatever? His stock right now is very I. Yes, we got it, George. Clearly, when you refer to the stock market, you're talking about money value. So I think that Tyron's comments about that are a bit off point. And more so than that, admitting that you felt you never had the GSP fight in your pocket and it was always just a bit of a ploy and GSP business was always going to be the fight, why are you now still talking about GSP? You're sort of saying, like, I don't believe I'm ever going to get that fight, but now I'm going to trash that guy. So you're saying you don't believe in the f- you're going to get that fight, but you're trying to build up for a fight? I'm not sure. I think Tyron deserves some criticism for that. So we'll see. We'll see where it goes from here. We'll see who he gets next. We'll see how frosty that relationship is with Dana at future media events. I can't wait. Now let's bang off some smaller side stories here on the home stretch before the end of the show. Vasil Lomachenko. Vasil? Vasily? Vasil Lomachenko? I can't pronounce it, I'll be honest. I don't know how to pronounce it. I've only just come around to this guy. Vasil Lomachenko is a Ukrainian professional boxer. Those boxing enthusiasts out there listening to the show will know him. I decided I would watch his fight on Saturday night. And my goodness... I was entertained. That guy, he's got he's special. He's got special something. If there's a better current example of the level McGregor is jumping up to, Lomachenko's it. This is a guy who's got like hundreds of amateur bouts under his belt. Only about 10 professional bouts under his belt and he's one of the best in the world McGregor is jumping up to fight that level of guy in Floyd Mayweather and Lomachenko on Saturday toyed with Miguel Mariaga a man with 28 fights 145 rounds and 21 KOs more than Conor McGregor and Lomachenko toyed with this guy it was incredible it was superb it was Roy Jones Jr. esque. At one point in the fight, he knocked 
knocked Mariaga to the mat. When the ref stood Mariaga up, Vasil Lomachenko did, did the, the Anderson Silva, went and stood in the corner and waved the guy to him. As if, as if he was just saying, yeah, I'm going to be, let's just do some sparring, situational sparring from the corner. Let's do it that way. At one point, he swarmed Mariaga, who started retreating, and Lomachenko put his face inches in front of Mariaga's gloves and chased him across the ring with his hands down. At another time, they got in the corner and they were a bit tied up, and he started noogieing Mariaga. It was a showman performance like I have not seen in some time. Now, now I, have, I don't watch a ton of boxing, so, I mean, from that perspective, but it was amazing. I highly recommend checking out any of these, this guy's fights. They're a show. From this weekend, UFC Fight Night Mexico City. Sergio Pettis looked good on the feet. Not so much against takedowns. I, I think he needs one more fight. He certainly did not show enough to topple Demetrius Johnson. If you can get taken down that easily, I don't care how good your stand-up is. He might have the best stand-up outside of Demetrius Johnson in that division, but his takedown defense is paper thin. I hope he doesn't get the next title shot. It'll just be another guy being fed to Demetrius Johnson a little bit too early. But, on the other hand, I'm glad that this headline to fight. I'm glad that the UFC is actually trying to market opposition for DJ. Something they have not done at all. They barely have put flyweights on main cards before. Anyways, let's not get too worked up about that. Elsewhere on that card, Nico Price looked very good. Very, very nice. You know, he is one of the more genuinely exciting fighters on the rise in the welterweight division, which is a very old division at the top. Now he's 3-0 in the UFC. So Price, who's 27-year-old, still at a, a nice age, he sh he's sure to improve over his 38th, uh, rank 38th. Still, um, it appears he would be a good four to five fights away from hitting a top 10 fight, depending on the frequency at which he fights. You know, we might not see him make a push until later in 2018, but this is a guy to keep your eye on. He looked very, very good. Alexa Grasso and Miranda Marcos was a very entertaining scrap in the women's strawweight division. But, once again, I will always bring up this criticism until it's leveled out. The women's divisions are so thin. They're so thin. Marcos was the ninth-ranked fighter in this division before she lost this fight. And she had exchanged wins and losses for nine fights. She was ranked ninth and had never put together a two-fight win streak through nine fights. That, that's just to say that division. Some, I guess some people, if you're a big NFL fan, you probably love women's MMA. Parody is wonderful. But if you're someone who wants to see greatness, who wants to see champions facing true blue contenders... 
women's MMA is not the place for it. You very rarely get to see that kind of stuff. It's usually a dominant champion at the top, or it's flux. So speaking of women's MMA, we're going to end on this note. Joanna and Jacek versus Rose Namajunas is rumored to be for UFC 217. Nothing official yet. Uh, hasn't been broken by any of the big MMA outlets, so we'll see if that's true. Of course, it's a great bout. It's a great bout if it goes down. Namajunas is a very long fighter, creative, improving every fight. Maybe the only fighter longer than Joanna, and size-wise, you know, a bit taller, I would say, bigger. And in many ways, a tougher stylistic matchup than Jessica Andrade. But Nama Yunus has been streaky. Her longest win streak has only been three fights. And she's, if, if she gets this fight, she's only going to be going into it on a one-fight win streak. That's not even a win streak. She'll be going into it with one win in a row. That's not even in a row. She'll be going into it with one win. You're going to go in against Joanna Champion with one win? I don't know. I feel this could be just a bit too early for her. Or, as the popular trope in MMA is now, this could be her GSP loss en route to her title reign. She, she will have needed to lose to learn some lessons and come back stronger. Right. Okay. Well. Listen, I'm, I will pay the, the price of admission for that fight. It will be a good, good fight. But I'm not going to fool myself into thinking that she is going to put up a, a truly competitive performance. Until I see her in there with Yin Jacek exchanging punches. If she looks good, great. I'm, I'll be all in. As soon as that fight gets going, I'm all in. Until then, for me, it's a question. It's just a big question mark. So that's going to do it for this week of The Hurt Take. I have been your host, Reese Dobigan. I will be your host, Reese Dobigan, next week, too. And I will be your host, Reese Dobigan, for eternity. So I'm glad that you came here to join me. I'm glad you've joined me in the past, the present, and the future. For the best MMA podcast, the MMA podcast for the fans by the fans, thank you for joining me. We'll see you next week. I am out.